Welcome to Pints and Politics, the fourth edition. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political coming to you through the facilities of Trenton Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name's Bill Templeman. In addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trenton Radio website. We also have a podcast at Pints and Politics ptbopodcasters.ca or just google pints and politics peterborough and every thursday a motley crew gathers at the garnet pub aylmer and hunter in peterborough at five for an informal gathering where at we talk about political stuff that people want to talk about all are welcome please join us we post on twitter at b temp bill temp and on the cooperate peterborough page you don't have to drink beer joining me in the studio are our regular panelists from town ward playwright and math teacher tim etherington and from east city communications consultant podcaster and writer donald fraser welcome to tim and donald thanks for having us wonderful uh our focus so far has been on peterborough's municipal election which comes up October 22, but today we're going to talk about the Ontario election, which is just, as over, which is just over a week away. Now, confessions, back in mid-April, uh, when we still had snow on the ground, I figured I had this election wired. I had thought that there would be, uh, it would be a tight race in this riding between Jeff Leal, our sitting MPP, and the progressive conservative challenger, Dave Smith. Given the widespread dissatisfaction with, uh, with Wynne's government, I thought that Smith, the PC uh, candidate, would win. Across the province, I thought the Conservatives would win uh, a majority or even uh, or a minority, at least, or even a slim majority, with the Liberals forming the official opposition. The NDP would finish a distant third, followed by the Greens at the basement. But that was then. So, Donald and Tim, where did I go wrong? <laughs> when did the train jump the tracks? Well, you, well, you didn't get advance warning of the incredible script that the PC party would write over the, uh, what, about a three-week period? And dumping their leader and then having Doug Ford jump in and they, they, they threw the whole script out the window and this election actually got interesting. I thought I was just going to kind of try to sleepwalk through this thing and ignore it, but it's the best thing on TV now. Interesting, interesting. Now, what, what do you see happening in the last week that's changed so much? There, there, there was a great showing, um, I think, by... Uh, by Kathleen Wynne at the, uh, at the at the last debate, and I think some of the the fears that people were having with uh, with vote splitting when it came early in the election, uh, really uh, starting to to manifest itself in a lot stronger way. When you, when you have when you've got uh, an incumbent coming in with a, a really strong uh, performance at at a debate, then uh, you know it, it causes problems uh, for for that front running, particularly on the left for that uh, for that other front running party. Absolutely. Now I pulled some numbers from uh, the CBC poll tracker, and uh, you know they, they say you should never do numbers on the radio, but here I go. The PC started uh, back uh, in mid April. Uh, Around the mid 40s, on April by April 30th, they were at 43.6 percent. Uh, you know, May 10th they were down to 41 percent. May 15th they're at 40 percent. May 22nd down to just below 38. And today, at least this morning, uh, they're at 30, just over 36 percent, 36.6. Meanwhile, the NDP started down at 23, went to 25, then to uh, then to 27, then to 30, then to 33 on the 22nd, and today they're virtually, or at least this morning, they're virtually tied with the PCs at 36.4. Where did that come from? How did we get there? 
not, I mean, there's a, there's a longer conversation how we actually got there. What I find fascinating is where, where we're going, to be honest. Because uh, you're right, uh, the NDP has, has surged up. Um, you know, I, I apologize to liberal supporters out there, but it's not in the cards. The liberals aren't going to win this election. Um, despite the fact that I agree that uh, with Donald, I think Kathleen Wynne gave a fantastic performance on Sunday. I think she was probably the best debater on, on the stage. Uh, but they're not going to win. So I think people looking, it's become an election between Doug Ford and Andrea Horvath. Um, the not Doug vote has moved over to the NDP. And so that uh, produces a, uh, a challenge that way. There's actually a poll that came out. I was just flashing it uh, on my phone here to Donald. Uh, Polera, who does a different kind of poll, they do more of a, of a standard sample and watch it move over time, is releasing a poll tomorrow that shows the NDP up 11 points. Uh, a swing of, um, I guess, 10 points, uh, five down PC, five up NDP. So clearly the momentum's on, on their side. The problem is going to be in the long run how that vote distributes because, of course, getting the most votes doesn't necessarily mean you win, as we have seen in significant elections recently. Aside from not being Doug Ford and not being Kathleen, what does Horvath have going for her? In other words, what do you see the upside to her policy so far? Um, uh, I think it's NDP core values. Um, so... Uh, bringing up Doug Ford, you, you've kind of got this—you've got this kind of mirror going on—and um, I think that the when you have a specter of losing uh, a great deal of your social programs, uh, when you raise the specter of uh, how this is going to affect education and how it's going to affect health care. The, the the polar opposite seems a whole lot more attractive. Um, and so th the NDP's already, always had a tough go, uh, particularly Ontario. We've got this... Uh this incredibly it's 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 like it's like the bob ray government was a tequila bender and somehow it took two or three not days but decades to get over it they, they've got a they've got a really tough road ahead of them because there's this preconceived notion that um that uh that they're dangerous, that they're fiscally irresponsible. Um, people throw out Ray Days without really even understanding what it is. So what, what Andrea is doing right now is offering a fairly safe campaign, mm. uh, not going too far with any crazy promises, uh, and that in itself is it's its great strength, uh, to, to not be too NDP. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, she's, she's being socially... Uh, progressive without uh, without you know promising the world. Interesting. Now Warren Kinsella, the the liberal uh, blogger, commentator, made the point that demographics are are, are marching on with each each succeeding uh, election campaign, and that there's a healthy whack of people who are voting and have voted for several elections, who who don't remember. Bob Ray, who don't know, who maybe weren't born when Bob Ray was in power, and, and the same, you know, inexorable march of demographics is going to put a stale date on the Mike Harris slagging. So, regardless of who destroyed Ontario, increasingly the electorate is going to lose memory of, of you know, a significant portion of the electorate is not going to have a memory of who those individuals were. Um, I, just to jump in there, I think it still carries a force, though, and that uh, in the postmodern world. <laughs> yeah. 
people who experience Barbary is one thing, but Barbary has become shorthand for unbridled socialism that will steal all your money, uh, even though there's nothing like it. Uh, one insight before you move on, just, I, I used to work for the NDP almost 20 years ago, for the Ontario NDP. And, uh, what? Germany. Yeah. Um, just a bit of insight that uh, the two worst words you can say uh, around the Ontario NDP is Barbary. Uh, if I wanted to be uh, a twit uh, around the headquarters on Cecil Street, I would just bring up Bob Ray's name and say, you know what, actually, you know, Bob Ray did some pretty good things, and I would just be jumped on by members of the Ontario NDP. So he's not getting any love from the NDP either. Right. All of which dances around the whole topic of strategic voting. Now, I have NDP friends who, uh, I, uh, for the past year, have been grumbling Strategic voting, I was burned, no way, I'll never vote strategically again. <clears throat> and stomp, stomp, stomp. But suddenly, as this campaign rolls on, they're beginning to smile a bit about strategic voting because uh, red is beginning to bleed to orange. And I was wondering what you've seen of that. And red is bleeding to orange, we know that. I've heard that here in this writing. I've also heard of blue bleeding to orange. In other words... Conservatives who just cannot stomach voting uh, for Doug Ford uh, are beginning to look at the NDP. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think uh, when you look at the blue to orange, orange to blue, it, it, it actually breaks down by region. So when you're dealing with urban ridings where uh, the NDP tends to have a progressive base, they tend to, the votes tend to slosh between the Liberals and the NDP. But the NDP has pockets of support in other places, too. Places that don't surprise you, I suppose, like Union Towns, like Hamilton and Windsor and St. Catharines and London to, to a lesser degree, where those votes do flip back and forth, Oshawa being one. The other place the NDP traditionally had a lot of strength is in northern Ontario. Again, I mentioned I used to work for the NDP. I was up working uh, the Kenora Rainy River riding around the year 2000, 2001, or something like that. And I remember I signed a guy up to a recurring membership, and his big thing was he was mad at Mike Harris for cancelling the bear hunt. <laughs> and he was going to sign with the NDP because he wanted to hunt bears. And liberals were not an option up there. So it, it, I think it's important because Ontario is such a vast province and there's so many different concerns in different places. It, you know, one monolithic sort of approach actually doesn't, doesn't explain um, every particular place. Tom? Uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, it's interesting. If we take a look at the, at the federal election, there was, uh, there was an interesting dance there were uh, there were a lot of people that I know. You know, they died in the wool pinko commies. They uh, they they voted. They were dippers for their entire life. That uh, were were invited to, uh, to to vote liberal, and and a lot of them did. And in fact, on mass, we had a, a, a huge groundswell of liberal support from people who were usually in the NDP camp. Um, Right now, uh, we're, we're, we're facing a vote-splitting situation that I think is scarier than the anyone-but-Harper situation that we faced on the federal level. We, we've got someone who I, I think could do irreparable damage to our, our, our provincial funding and, and to uh, the infrastructure of, of, of how we live our lives. I'm, I'm not seeing that wholesale move from red to orange that I think that we saw at the federal level. Uh, and I, I think there's several reasons behind this, uh, and I'm not going to lob partisan hardballs uh, hard at, at anyone, but it's, it's an interesting dynamic that we're, we're not seeing the same crossover that we did at the federal level. 
Well, I don't know. I, I, I have heard that in our writing, liberals talking about strategic voting and, and uh, voting NDP, in this case going to uh, Sean Conway. True confessions continued. I, I went to hear uh, Doug Ford last night, and I was impressed with... And, and the, you live to tell the tale. And I live to tell the tale. I, I was impressed with uh, the delivery and, and the message. I mean, we, you know, well... As an aside, Trent Radio, of course, has a CRTC license to broadcast, and of course we have to offer equal time to all parties running, and certainly as host, I shall not be partisan in any way. But one thing that did impress me was the visceral appeal of the slogans, like, help is on the way, Ontario is broken. Now, we can dispute that, but... It's sort of like, it's intoxicating. And the solutions offered, he talked, who's better to run our hospitals than the nurses and the doctors? Well, you know, not dissimilar words certainly have come out of my mouth. And in terms of education, he said, who better, who should we turn to advice, uh, for advice on how to teach our kids than the teachers and principals? And... Uh, as a contract worker in the community college system, you know, contract teacher, I, you know, I, I, I felt some of those things. So I, I came away from the session feeling that, you know, it's all well and good for people who don't vote conservative to make, uh, uh, to come to their own conclusions, but um, it's a seductive message. message. Um, so you mentioned intoxicating. And, 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 and does that I, bring up the topic of beer? It, do, it, bring, it brings up the one, the, the buck of beer. It also brings up that that has been the strongest concrete bit of platform that he's offered. Um, <laughs> it, it is wonderful to say we need teachers and principals running schools. Mm. Tell us how that's going to happen. We. It's wonderful to say we need doctors running hospitals. Well, that, that's, that's integral. Tell us how it's going to happen. And also tell us how we're going to do this without firing anyone. Remember, there's not going to be a job lost here. So if it's the doctors that are running the hospital, it's just what's coming out of his mouth doesn't actually make any sense. And doubly so because he hasn't given us a platform from which to glean any of, of, of his... Uh, of his route to getting there. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the opinion of Donald Fraser, not Trent Radio. All right. <laughs> the, uh, the intoxicating messages, the slogans, when, when we scrutinize, when we look at it and go, well, there's no substance there, that, that certainly still holds sway with a lot of voters. But the reality that anyone involved in politics has to realize is that the ground beneath is changing rapidly. We're definitely living in a post-structural political environment. Uh, there is no truth. It's, it's all message. And... Uh, you know, we're all educated people, and, 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 well, Donald gets to be the kid at this table, but we're all of a certain age. Um, and if you want to affect political change, it doesn't mean you have to give in to that. It doesn't mean you have to just surrender yourself to just being superficial, but you have to recognize the lethality of it. When people are receiving their information in sound bites, when they're gleaning, you know, news of the, of the world and, and important substantive issues through Twitter and other, and other platforms like that, those messages act, actually work. And so it's not just because Ford is limited as a speaker and a thinker. I personally believe he is. But the people around him know what they're doing. They know how to pat polish that guy. 
If I, if I can interject with uh, a reference to policies, I have to ask, do policy statements during campaigns matter? Is anyone paying attention? I mean, we, well, the three of us remember Kim Campbell's infamous observation back in 92. Uh, a reporter challenged her to go deeper into policy, and she said, well, campaigns aren't the time to discuss policy. A and the country rose up. <laughs> I, I think... This this is this is a sad statement, um, but I, I at this stage I don't think policy matters to a great deal of the population, and that's one of the reasons why we have a Doug Ford. It's one of the reasons why we have a Donald Trump. The political machine right now is broken. People mm. people are searching for something that is so far outside the norm that they're willing to reach for for things that that are downright scary um, and, and they're doing so because they're seeing no success in what they're doing at the voting booth uh, either either they're feeling that the parties are not representing their beliefs or that it doesn't matter what a politician says because the the, the policies that are being promised aren't going to happen and uh, so this lack of faith in in policy and the electoral process is, I think, a big reason to why we're getting some politicians that we are getting. Maybe, maybe we're getting the politicians we deserve. I hate to say it, but you know, we've we've kept on electing the same two, two and a half parties uh, that have been slowly moving us to the right on a, on, a, on a fairly steady but slow basis, uh, and, and not really representing our voices once they get into power. Yeah. Just as an interesting aside, the party, guess the party that's had the greatest percentage increase in popular vote support by all this polling, the Greens. They're up over 5%, and they started around 3 Tim, you had a point. Okay. I, I think actually the rise of the Green Party partially plays into what we're talking about. But yeah. Policy does matter. It matters for less and less of the voting public. And so you start right. to see new... Right. fissures opening up in the body politic and again it's happened very rapidly everyone can't help themselves in watching that train wreck down in the state so everyone's been focusing on that one of the dynamics in the american electorate has been the shift away of suburban republicans back to the democrats uh, these are educated people generally above median income who have always liked the fiscal message from the republican party in other words you know get more money in their pockets but they are drifting away because they are aghast at the vacuousness of of uh of Trump's policy. And we see a similar thing in Ontario. You know, more traditional progressive conservatives, I think, are having a great deal of difficulty mm -hmm. supporting Doug Ford and supporting the right word lurch of, of the conservative movement in Canada. I don't know if they naturally gravitate to the NDP. I think it could be a situational thing for this election, though, where they look at it and say, well, I can't, you know, after 15 years, I can't vote for win, so I'll just give it to the NDP. I just want to throw one little historical anecdote here uh, about slogans winning elections and everything like that. By my recollection, the first election where that really happened, where uh, a party rolled into power unprepared really to govern, but based on a slogan, was the NDP in 1990. Their famous commercial uh, with the remote clicking the channel saying, you can change the channel, but you can't change the message. You know, you have an alternative, was a decisive and very effective commercial. And by the way, it was brought to you by Hill and Knowlton, uh, the <laughs> PR firm that brought you the Gulf War a year later. Very good. And, and, and I, I'd like to point out that, <laughs> so when we're looking at 1990 and, and we're looking at um, a, a message that is echoing 
McLuhan, <laughs> that we've come a long, long, long way in the dumbing down of our politics. Right. And on that, let's spring to the all candidates meeting so far. Uh, now, I've been to two. Uh, what, what have what have we noticed? What have we heard? How? Who's doing well? No shows. I was at the art uh, at Art Space, and uh, I heard three of the candidates. I heard Broughton, Leal, and Conway speak. All all spoke well. Regrettably, uh, Dave Smith was not there. Just wondering how the all candidates meetings go, and are all candidates meetings still important? This has been the contemporary conservative strategy: is not to show up. Um, we, we saw it uh, in Alberta. We, we saw it federally, and we're seeing it. And, and it's a calculation made that the the base of the conservative party isn't there to be persuaded they're there to be outraged um, right. and that's the most effective way of reaching them i have a nasty tendency of listening to talk radio and uh, <laughs> uh and I, I i always have i'm fascinated by right-wing talk radio and i actually pick up uh rush limbaugh's show uh sometimes when i leave work early on 9 30 out of buffalo and i listened to a bit of it he had a guest host on but he was explaining you know how you win elections as if this is just the basic way to do it and, and he said rage is the driver it's all about rage. Yes. And he said that not as some sort of, like, would you believe this? He was saying, dudes, this is how it's done. And I, I actually admired how openly these far-right conservatives are saying, it's got nothing to do with what you say. It's how excited and upset and angry you get your base. Tim Etherington, Donald Fraser, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for, uh, for your ideas, your contributions. Uh, we will do this again, uh, hopefully next week. And that's it for Pints and politics.